Jonathan Swift says that vision is the art of seeing the impossible. Vision is the art of seeing the impossible. Leaders, visionaries, vision is about seeing what other people might not see, but something that could be, which is vital. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the old King James Version says that without a vision, the people perish. Without a sense of what could be, without a sense of where we're going, without a sense of why, we fall apart because there's no glue that's holding us together. And for the last year especially, we've given name to the glue that holds this community together is this idea of interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. That is our vision, that's our mission, that's our passion, that's our heartbeat. We exist to break into people's lives in surprising ways to help them perhaps see Jesus just a tiny little bit differently. And so that happens throughout the week in men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. It happens uh, at weekly at worship and through sermon series. It happens monthly through One Thing projects. I mean, just this year, putting on a surprise Thanksgiving dinner for kids in a charter school on the Northwest side helped them get a glimpse of Jesus and of church that is just a little bit different than what they had before. And that's the win. And so as we look back on 2016, 2016 was like our best year ever, 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 which isn't hard when you've only been around for like two years, right? But um, last year we celebrated eight baptisms. Uh, there was a 100% increase in giving, uh, which also was maybe not hard to do, but, um, but was really important as we preached through generosity that we would align our hearts with God in that way. Our attendance increased 20%. That might be lowballing it. We gave over $500 away in regen gives from those uh, check-ins. Um, Life-changing, high-impact One Thing projects help kids on the Northwest side, people living in addiction, moms who are underserved and underprivileged in our community, experience Jesus afresh. We twice, I think this year, or just once in Valentine's Day of last year, we drove around Champion, and in every business that was open on Valentine's Day, every employee got a Valentine's Day gift. I mean, this is really what we're about, is breaking into people's lives with generosity and helping them see Jesus differently. And somebody that's new to our community, uh, wrote to me and, and said this, and if you read kind of our year-end giving email, this was in there too, but enjoy the wonder of it again. He said, since returning home a few weeks ago, a new world has opened for me. The influence of Regen and the, and the support of this community have changed my opinion of church in general and has provided so much direction and clarity for my life. My relationship with Jesus is a new, exciting, ever-learning journey, and I can't wait to accept him into my life more and more, moving into my future. If you want to know why I get up in the morning, it's that. I don't get up in the morning uh, because I want to do the administrative stuff. I don't get up in the morning so that we can even plan great worship services. I, I get up in the morning, and we get up in the morning as a community to see transformation brought about in people's lives. And so, as we turn the page into 2017, a few just general updates. Um, we have now been put under the shepherding care of the Grace Campus, Grace United Methodist Church. So now we're living as hashtag one church, two locations. And so we have a traditional service or a more traditional service in the mornings on the Northwest side. And now we have this service here. And one of my goals since we started was to be transparent. So here's the transparency. The annual budget for this year weighs in at $34,530. That's uh, what we plan to spend this year. Uh, 28,000 of that is a new vehicle for me. Um, and uh, that'll be fun. Uh, one of the things you need to know about the way that we function with our, with our budget is it's one-third expenses and stuff and two-thirds people because we believe in investing and developing people over stuff. And so that's kind of how we operate 
with our budget. And as we turn the page into this year, we have a couple of goals. One of them is going to be kind of revamping our kids' space and throwing more volunteers and resources into our kids' area down the hallway. And another one will be reformatting visuals for quicker turnaround so we won't have kind of like R2-D2 uh, kind of sitting in the middle of the floor. And actually, you, you come around sometime and look, like Sid did turn this into R2-D2, like there's little things on there. So uh, we'll have two TV monitors, uh, which will just give the space a little bit of a fresher look. But here's the major goal moving into 2017 that I don't want you to miss is this, is that come April, we will be worshiping in this place with these people in the mornings. So starting April, 11.15 a.m. is when we will be worshiping, um, which, which means a couple of different things. Those of you who are familiar with, with what's been going on know that there's already a worshiping community here uh, in, on Sunday mornings and a very traditional worship service at 9.30. That will continue. Uh, at about, about 10.45, Vanessa, who's going to be acting as our site coordinator, our band, and some volunteers, We'll flood in and kind of flip the space and we'll be ready to be here. But the opportunities for us to brush shoulders with people that call this church their home really can't be underestimated as we also grow uh, in serving together. And so some of these one thing projects that we're already sharing between us and the Grace Campus could also be shared with our, our, other, our other worship service at Otterbein. And they're excited about this. Their leadership knows about this. We've been in lots of conversations with them since... September, I would say, and there's a lot of excitement about the possibilities of a fuller parking lot on Sunday mornings, of service opportunities, and you don't know who, when you walk in the door, is like your grandma's best friend kind of a situation, you know, and so um, be looking forward to that. Uh, here's what made us make this switch, if you're curious. Um, I have to do demographic research on our area every year for our supervising agencies, and when I looked at the number one demographic we're reaching in uh, at Regen, which are 20s and 30-somethings, we have two high commitments in this area, and those two commitments are in this order, a high loyalty to our family and a high commitment to religious faith. So here's what that means. Uh, high loyalty to family is why one of the hardest things about inviting people to Regen is when you invite a friend out to Regen, week after week, what do they say? Well, I've got my grandma's birthday party this Sunday and my nephew's birthday party the next one, and we're all going to the Browns game the weekend after that. Sunday afternoon and evening is family time in Trumbull County. And if you're a 20 or a 30-something and you live here, nine times out of 10, your parents still live here and they want to hang out with you all the time, which is great. But given the choice between church and hanging out with your family, how do you tell grandma no, right? Sorry, grandma, I'm going to church, just doesn't quite cut it in my family, and I'm a pastor, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so one of the other things about this high commitment to religious faith is when do people go to church in our community? They go Sunday morning. I think we're the only church with our main worship environment on Sunday nights, um, which on some level is nice and relaxed and chill, but really what it's doing is it's limiting our ability to invite our friends and family to church. It's limiting our ability uh, to grow our, our movement. And so um, in a lot of conversations, we're gonna relaunch our worship environment on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you what's going to change. Let me tell you what's gonna change. Are you ready? The time. That's it. Everybody's worried about, is it still gonna feel authentic? Is it still gonna feel relaxed? Will Kyle still be Kyle? Will we still be us? Can I tell you what makes us authentic and relaxed? It's us, 
okay? We don't like, there's no essential oil thing going on in the air that makes it that way, you know? And so just be you and it's all gonna be fine. The only thing that's changing is the time. Worship, preaching, the way it feels. Here's what also is changing. When it is 20 degrees out and you're in your sweatpants at 5 p.m., you don't have to engage in the moral wrestling match of do I skip church? because I'm very warm and cuddly and this Netflix show is great. Um, and so we'll be able to also use Sunday nights as other community opportunities um, as well. And so uh, here's just a brief schedule of what that looks like. We're gonna do two one-off Sunday mornings, March 5th and March 19th, which is kind of to get us all kind of acclimated. It gives us uh, and our team to know kind of how to get the band set up. And I mean, a lot of our teams are gonna be changing in the way that they function. Our band comes in and warms up on Sunday night and they're done. So we're gonna have to rethink some of that. And Julia and I have been talking about that. And so uh, on those two Sunday mornings, we'll host evening kind of prayer or worship or training or something like that. But April 2nd, we are in the AMs, babies. That's just where we are, which is really exciting. That'll mean this is our first Easter service as a community. Uh, one year we did Easter Saturday, one year we just did a Good Friday service, and this year we get to uh, be together uh, when Jesus is alive, which will be a really great service. And so here's what you can do. Uh, show up. Believe it or not, every person in the building counts. Not just because we want bodies in the room, but because your story and your presence makes Regen what Regen is. When you're not here, we aren't fully ourselves. Do you see what I'm saying? When you don't bring your warmth, when you don't bring your face, we're just not us. And, and here's what's exciting to me. There are people who in Jesus's eyes belong to Regen that we don't know about yet that will make us even more ourselves. And so one of the things that's gonna be challenging is when it won't happen in the first month, it won't happen in the second month, but by the sixth month, we'll probably be doubled in our worship attendance. And you're gonna be like, who are those people? And I'm gonna tell you, these are people that Jesus has called to this place for us to love, and I'm really excited about that. So you can show up, you can invite. Uh, all of this is silly uh, if we don't invite, and I didn't think to bring one up with me, but we still have about 200 regeneration yard signs that we used when we launched this two years ago. And so everybody's gonna get slapped for, you know, five or six yard signs, and uh, we'll put those all over. The winning, the winning number to beat is when we launched in 2014, somebody put up 40 yard signs and fell into a black water ditch. And black water is poop water, so uh, if you fall into poop water and put up more than 20 signs or 40 signs, you're in a good place. Um, but you know what? We'll just let you off if you don't fall into any poop water. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just, now that I've discovered the phrase poop water, I'm kind of trying to figure out how to use it as much as possible before we move on. But now we have to move on. So invite, give. Every dollar you give is more opportunity. Actually, Lindsay and I have applied for a grant through our supervising agency for more money just for kind of advertising. Um, but every dollar you give is more that we can kind of do and blow up stuff so that people know about this. Um, serving in kids or tech or hospitality, um, any number of these areas will be vital that there's lots of people at the door to meet people. There's a lot of people in this room connecting with people that um, are kids space as well, 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 in, uh, well staffed. And then of course to pray. And the thing that I wrote there was nothing is impossible. Can I tell you the truth? I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't, I, I, I know how to preach, I know how to love people, I know how to make hard calls sometimes. I don't know what we're doing. And so I need your help, we need your help because if this is just Kyle, this will go very badly. Um, 
And all of you that are close with me are thinking, oh, heck yeah, that's true, <laughs> you know? Um, I, we need a lot of variety of gifts and variety of personalities and varieties of ways of looking at things for this to go well. And so pray, pray that this launch would go well, pray about who you can be inviting, pray about who uh, you would want and what ways you maybe see yourself serving um, just so that we can do it. And maybe you see something that none of us see. I mean, my face is kind of this close to this. And if you were here last week, we talked about how time in erodes awareness of, and I am I'm as self-aware in regard to regen as I don't know what, but not good. So, um, but here's the other thing to pray about too. This is our BHAG. I don't know if you know what a BHAG is. It's a big, holy, audacious goal. We use this in our coaching world. Uh, or big, hairy, awesome goal or something like that. Um, we've been approached by the leadership at KSU Trumbull to launch a campus ministry there. Uh, and that's the only sentence that has been said out loud. <laughs> so talk about not knowing what to do, right? But I was in a meeting with the dean and he said, we had a long conversation. I said, all right, I'm ready to do this. What do you think we need to do next? He says, well, I think you could consider yourself an official campus ministry at KSU Trumbull. I said, well, what does that mean? And he goes, I have no idea, but let's get working on that. And so um, I, I'm envisioning small groups. I'm envisioning, I mean, guys, this could be as deep as we're having like a worship service at, at KSU Trumbull at like noon on Monday. Right, So, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities uh, for us to reach people and with them being right down the street, that could be crazy. So be praying about that. This is where Jesus is living and calling us and this is where Jesus is interrupting us. And it's gonna look different. It's gonna require more work and responsibility in all of our parts. But I really think that there are people, there really are people, we're gonna get to this in John 10, where Jesus says, there are people who belong to my flock and they don't know it yet. There are people who belong to Regen and they just don't know it yet. And all they need is to drive by a yard sign or see a Facebook post or more likely than not be invited. I was reading a, a, something this week and it said that unchurched people, truly unchurched people, they're driving by Otterbein, our building right now, and they know we're at church, but to walk in by themselves would be like walking into a wedding that you haven't been invited to. That's just how they feel. It's like going to a funeral where you don't know the dead person. I mean, it's like driving by a funeral home there's a funeral, I should just go. That, you know, that's really personal and there's gonna be all these people, that's how they feel. If they're gonna show up, it's gonna be you bringing them. And so to be praying about that would be really powerful. So let me pray and then uh, we're gonna jump into our sermon, all right? And see if we can't cover all of John 1 in less than an hour. So let's pray. Uh, Father, you've given us a vision, you've given us a glimpse of the invisible and we want to see that. We don't just want to see it, we want to be a part of it. And God, I for one am floored that you continue to ask me to be a part of this. Um, I would definitely choose me last for this dodgeball team. And I know a lot of us feel the same way. And so, um, Father, would you remind us that you do not call the equipped, but you equip the called. You find people that say, I don't know what to do, and you say, that's the easy part. And so, Father, shape our hearts, and in fact, we pray that you would help us see people the way you see people, that you'd break our hearts for what breaks your heart, and that you'd help us to point people to Jesus through this thing called regen, and help it to be more than time moving, but moving of your kingdom. And as we pray, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in regen as it is in heaven, in powerful ways. In Christ's name, amen. We're gonna be in John 1 tonight. John chapter one. 
I would recommend grabbing that paperback Bible near you, under you. They're about every other, every third seat. The red Bibles are just as good, but it's just going to be sounding different, and I don't want you to be thinking I'm the crazy one, which you might already think, and the Bible might make that irrelevant. So, um, John 1. We're going to be in the Gospel of John until the end of June, and we are going to soak this in and break it up into different pieces and look and see who Jesus is. But as we begin tonight, I want to start with two stories. I want to start with, start with two stories that contrast with each other. And the first story is told by a guy named Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah is the host of Comedy Central's Daily Show. He's a South African. Uh, his uh, father was white and his mother was black. He was literally born a crime. He was born under illegal circumstances. And now he's in America doing stand-up comedy on The Daily Show. And I was listening to a podcast with him this weekend, and the podcast just happened to ask him a question about religion. And I couldn't think of a more important thing to start our series with. So take a listen to what Trevor Noah has to say. Do you still pray? I do. What do you pray for? I realize it's an intimate I, I, question I, I, you don't have to I see, answer. No, I, I see prayer as a, as a form of meditation. So essentially, you know, when I, look, when I look across religions, I find a common thread. And I go, you know, so if you look at a person who's meditating, that's no different to what a lot of people who worship, you know, under Islam are doing five times a day. They're taking time out of their day and getting into a zone. And that's really what prayer is for me. You know, it's, it's taking a moment to be mindful, thinking about your world, thinking about your day, think, visualizing, thinking about a future, thinking about the past. Is there a deity involved? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I think, again, that's where man has attached himself to the God, you know? I, I think if, if there is a God, it's something we cannot understand. It is far beyond our, our comprehension of what we would think because we make, make it like it's just like basically a big version of Santa Claus who decides who gets gifts and who doesn't. And then I, I always get caught up in personifying a God too much. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, eh. And that feels counterproductive. Well, I go like, this is what I think I would be if I were a god, which is, I think, what everyone does. <laughs> really? That's, basically do? what, that's, what, that's what everyone's what everyone doing. Does? Yeah, everyone's really? basically going, I think God would do this, and I think God would... It's like, no, no, no. What you're saying is, I think I would do this if I were a god. <laughs> that is what you're really saying. So what would you do if you were a god? Whether you have your own religion, well, I, church of the I don't know if not. I'd give people free will. That's like, you oh, know, that's why, really? I don't, I, that's why I don't think I'd be a good god. That's a... That's a big one to take right off the table. Yeah, I don't think I would. Why would you give the people the will to hurt you? That makes no sense to me. And that's why I say God must be beyond everything we conceive if there is a God. Because I wouldn't let you choose to do the thing that would, uh, that would hurt me. Why, why would I want that? That's the first story. Listen to the second story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him, but to all who believed him and accepted him. 
He gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. Father, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If there is a God, it's something we cannot understand. If there is a God, it's something that we cannot understand. What Trevor Noah says here is, is a belief commonly held by your friends and your family members and the people that you work with, that if there is a God, and how can we look at the world and not think there is, if there is a God, uh, surely we cannot understand it. God must be so enormous and complex that how could we ever wrap our minds around him? And so perhaps the closest we could ever come is encountering him experientially in like meditation or as a feeling or a sensation. You know, for all of our, our advancement as a culture, for all of our technology, we really haven't progressed much further than the ancients because this is exactly what they believed about God. They believed that God was so big and so non-understandable, so transcendent is the word, uh, that, that, that how could we ever know him or it, or let's just hedge our bets, they? What if there's more than one God? We'd best call them they and make sure we get all of them. And, and God is disinterested in our lives. The divine is so other that it couldn't even recognize us. Maybe we can encounter God uh, in meditation or in cultic practice. And maybe every once in a while, Maybe every once in a while we can get the God or the divine or the it or the gods to do what we want if, if, if we sacrifice enough grain, if we pour out enough blood, if we yell loud enough, maybe it'll wake up the gods and we can hear it. This is what we've believed about God. And now the truth is that you and I still live this way. Even those of us who call ourselves the people of Jesus live in this world as if God is so distant and far away and not understandable that, 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 that when we walk through suffering and pain, what we assume is that we must have done something wrong to offend him. And when we walk through loneliness and depression and despair, we wonder at where this other thing is, this God. Too many of us live like God is unknowable. Too many of us live like God doesn't have a face. Too many of us live like God looks like this, that he's there, but he does not see, he does not speak. When he does, it's irregular and confusing. Tonight as we begin John's gospel, and by the way, just as a footnote, this is just gonna be content heavy, okay? So just kind of be with me. As we begin John's gospel, John is rolling in his grave at this idea because all of John 1, 1 through 18 is about this, the knowability of God. 
And he begins to tell us about the knowability of God with these opening verses. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God and he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. This life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, I used to tell people, if you're new to the Bible, read the gospel of John, because I thought this is a good way to get a glimpse of Jesus. But then you read these opening verses, John 1, 1 through 5, and it sounds like John is high. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. And John wants us to know in these opening verses about this God, this word who is of old who was in the beginning with God, this God who is ancient, this God who at the beginning, channeling Genesis 1, in the beginning was God, and the God created the heavens and the earth, that channels this and says he is of old, and that he is the creator. He has not created this word, this Jesus, is not created, he is in fact creator. And if you want to understand church history, welcome to about the first five, six, seven, eight hundred years of church history. Is Jesus created or creator? And John says, this word is the creator, and he says, this word is God. And yet it does not help us feel like God is any more knowable. I'm not exactly excited to get cuddled up with the word, the logos. And yet, have you ever heard it said that a man is only as good as his word? Have you ever heard it said a man or a woman is only as good as his or her word? I know whether or not I can trust Anthony, whether or not when he tells me something, he actually does it. I know whether or not I can trust Rebecca because if she says she's gonna keep a promise, she says. And so here, John introduces us to the word, but not in this mystical kind of sense, but in a very personal, invitational kind of way, saying this word of old, this word that created, this word who is God is like a text message from heaven. It's like the summary of who God is. It is God giving us, hear me, it is God giving us his word. For John, to know the word is to know God. To know the word is to know God, unless it still sounds sterile, unless it still sound distant, Look at what John does at the end of the chapter in verses 16 through 18. He says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another for the law was given through Moses, but, but, God's, excuse me, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus. No one had ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. To know the word, to know this word of old, the creating word, this word who is God, the light of men, is to know God. And what does he say further about this Jesus? He says that in the word, in Jesus, we find God's gracious intent to bless us. The word that he wants us to know, the handshake that God extends in the word, the first sentence God speaks to us in Jesus is of unfailing kindness and goodness, of one gracious blessing on top of another. He is the visible sign, the visible incarnation even of God's unfailing love and faithfulness. If we need to know what God is like, John says, look to Jesus, look to this unique one, this one who is so unique that he is himself God. 
and he is near to the Father's heart. If you want to know the things that have pierced me this week, it is that phrase that Jesus is near to the Father's heart. Literally, he is in the bosom of the Father. Literally, he is in the Father's lap. See, John's gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospel, synopsis, to see together. John's gospel stands aside for a variety of reasons, and one of them is that John wants us to understand what Jesus' relationship is to the Father so that we know what our relationship to God could be like. Hear me on this. John wants you to know what your connection to God could look like. And he does by showing us someone who was so intimately and perfectly connected to the Father, and then who does this, invites us into that same connection. He is in the Father's lap, as if to say, Jesus sits on God's one knee, and Jesus grabs us by the hand and puts us on God's other. To know Jesus, this unique one who is himself God, is to know one who has revealed to us what it ultimately looks like for us to be connected to God. And so finally, by the time we hit this summer, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. If you remain in my love, you remain in the Father's love. Jesus opens to us this new and life-giving way. And hear me on this, it is the exact opposite of what Trevor Noah says. God is not unknowable. God is not beyond what we can conceive. God has lowered himself. He has taken on humanity, the worst of us, so that we could clearly see what God is like. He says, Jesus has revealed God to us. Jesus is the summary statement of who God is and what our lives were created to be. Part of the reasons that I'm preaching through this gospel, part of the reason that we're going to study it for six months, goodness gracious, we're going to get old by then, you know what I mean? When we preach through these gospels is because it's time that we take a look at Jesus. You know, we've talked around Jesus, but it's time that we take a look at Jesus and, and, and for John's gospel to give us a new and better language for who Jesus is, a new and better language for what it is like for us to follow Jesus and be one with the Father what it's like to sit in the Father's lap with Jesus. And yet, hear me on this, one of the core messages of John's gospel is that we don't get it. One of the core messages of John's gospel is that we don't get it. What you're gonna see over and over and over again is those who consider themselves on the inside cast out. You're gonna see over and over and over again those uh, who are religious cast out. And so hear me on this, if you consider yourself a religious person, John's gospel is going to offend you. And if you consider yourself on the inside, John's gospel is going to offend you because over and over again, Jesus shows that those who think they are on the inside are actually on the outside. As Jesus goes to the outside to bring the outsiders in. I mean, it's a total reversal of everything we know about it. And look at this, look at how this John capsulates this already. This is the prologue for the book of John. This is, this is those yellow letters flying across the screen in Star Wars, okay? the beginning with the word like right and he says he came jesus came into the very world he created but the world didn't recognize him 
He came to his own people and even they rejected him, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born with a physical birth, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Listen, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I go looking for something and I can't find it. So Steph will say, can you go get this thing out of the pantry? And I go to the pantry and I look in every corner of the pantry. She says, can you run upstairs and grab this out of my bedroom? Which if she says, can you run upstairs and like get a piece of necklace, like get a, get a piece of necklace, get a necklace, I'm screwed, right? Because there's like 50 of them, but um, all from Charming Charlie's and Cheap, but we're not rich. And, um, and so I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking for the can of green beans. I'm looking for this thing. And I say to her, honey, I cannot find this. And she walks over to the pantry and she grabs the beans right there at the front and walks back to the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Listen, every once in a while, I, all the men in the, this is not a woman problem. I think this is a man problem because all the guys are like, yeah, you know, like, and uh, you ever, you ever not know where your sunglasses are? And you are like looking everywhere for your sunglasses. And you're like, gosh, darn it. I just, uh, one time I did this, I was like, I can't, can't find my sunglasses anywhere. I go get in the car and I just take them off the top of my head and I put them on as if like, you know what I mean? Sometimes the thing that we're looking for is right in front of us. And that's the thing that happens with Jesus. They're looking for him and he shows up and they don't know him. And John talks about this irony in two different ways. First, it says, even though he created the world, the world didn't know him. Listen, Art people can go into an art gallery. They could go to the Butler in Youngstown. They go, that's a Monet. I'm not that person, but I'm told it happens. They can go into the Butler and they can say, that's a Monet. And this is the equivalent of Monet walking into the room and none of us knowing. Which again, that might be you or me, right? Because I don't know artists. But then John takes it a level further. He says, he says, he came to his own people and they rejected him. Listen, it's one thing for me not to recognize a famous artist when they walk into the room. It's another thing to reject my best friend. It's another thing for Josh to fly here from Eugene and walk in the door right now and me to act like I don't even know him. And that's what we did. These two ironies is that here came Jesus and we looked for him and when we found him, we found him wanting. And, and what you're thinking is, I, I sing about this guy every week. I, I've, I'm really into this Jesus stuff, Kyle. I'm coming to church, I'm reading about it, I'm doing all this stuff and yet John's gospel says he's gonna walk in the room and you wouldn't even know him. He'd walk in the room and you and I wouldn't even know him and yet, look at verse 12. This is going to get interactive in a moment. So look at verse 12. What is the most important word in verse 12? Does anybody know? Yes, Joey. Joey did hear the sermon already. What is the most important word in verse 12? But, I want to preach a sermon series sometimes called the big butts of the Bible. But, so we have all these people that rejected him, but... To those who believe and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me tell you about these two verbs, believe and accept. To believe, John's gospel used the verb to believe more than any of the gospels combined. And believe does not mean I assent to these facts. Believe does not mean, yes, I think these things might be true. Believe means to rest in. Believe has this intent. Believe is the sense that I believe in Steph's character as my wife. That I trust her and I know her and I rely on her to be fully herself. And yet then this other verb, who accept him, can I tell you, it blows my mind. Yeah, it means like accept him, to lay hold of, to take hold of, but it also means this, to give access to oneself. Here's what faith is. Here's what Jesus is looking for, is for us to give us access to himself. 
It's for us to open to him and lay bare the absolute worst parts of you. And for Kyle, that's the parts that are so hungry to succeed and so hungry to be the best and so needy of of approval, to lay that bare to him, but also to lay out my best and say, Jesus, even when I'm living in my best, I'm doing it for selfish reasons. It's to give access to all of that. And yet Jesus comes, wants access to ourselves. He's knocking at the door. We're not opening the door. We're not letting him in the room. He's yelling from the other room as the word. He's turning on the lights from the other room and it's not working. And so what does he do? 114, one of the most important verses in the Bible. And so the word became human and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory of the father's only son. The word became human. See, yelling from the other room, flicking the, flicking the lights off and on aren't gonna work because we don't recognize him. And so Jesus says, I'm gonna move next door. Nope, I'm gonna turn, him, I'm gonna turn your house into an Airbnb without asking, and I'm just gonna move right in. This word, it says he became human. We're not Jews, we're we're English speakers, this is so boring. It means he tabernacled among us because in the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel had to build a tent and then Moses would go into the tent and speak to God on the other side of a curtain. And then they built a temple out of stone and, and the priest could go in once a year to make atonement for sins by sprinkling blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant if he didn't just collapse for, dead as soon as he walked in and they had to yank him out by a rope, it's true. And yet then what John says is that in the flesh of Jesus, we are face to face with God. In the flesh of Jesus, we don't have to talk to him through a curtain like he's the Wizard of Oz. We know him face to face, and in his face, we see the glory of the Father. In his face, we know everything there is to know. That's what that that last line of 118 says. It says, he has revealed God to us. Revealed doesn't just mean, ta-da. It means means that guy that tells you about the movie that you want to go see with spoilers. He's told the whole story about who God is. And we'll get to there in John, but you're saying, you should be saying right now, but Kyle, I've never seen Jesus. And if you have, I hope it's not like in like the tomato or, so, you know, or the grilled cheese that you can buy. No, what I'm talking, <laughs> Caitlin, yeah, me. Um, here's what, we're, we're gonna talk about, listen, Jesus actually thinks it's to our advantage that we've never seen him. Later on in the gospels, he says, it's better for you if I go because I'll send another, I will send the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we know Jesus. We'll get there later. Ugh, so much, but let me say this. This idea of, of moving into the neighborhood is the rallying cry for the church. You can't just open the doors and put out a sign and hope. You can't just go to your church and occasionally drop in that you go to church to your friends and hope that they will know. Instead, what you have to do is you have to incarnate the gospel. Here's what this actually means. You, as Danny the intern would say, or the, you might be the only Bible your non-Christian friends ever read. You are the face of Jesus to your friends. You. And yet, he moves into the neighborhood. And yet, he's full of grace and truth and unfailing love and faithfulness. I mean, go home tonight and read this passage. Look at John's, look at how John writes Jesus' resume. Ain't a part of this that goes, I don't want that. I don't want, I want to know faithfulness. I want to know unfailing love. I want to know mercy. I want to know blessing, one blessing after another. I, I want to know this Jesus. You read that resume. And, and, and here is this Jesus who reveals to us the Father's heart. 
Later on, there's this play on this where the disciple who Jesus loved does this thing that they did in the, in the classical world and in the ancient Near East. The text says the disciple who Jesus has loved was reclining on the breast of Jesus. Same, same language. He's shown the Father's heart to us. And the image that comes to my mind is, is actually this, somebody bringing their heart to us. And, and in Jesus, this is what God has done. In Jesus, this is what God has done. God has come to us and he says, look at who I am. He, literally, he doesn't just wear his heart on his sleeve. He just takes it out and says, look at me. This is who I am. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm filled with mercy. The law came through Moses, but unfailing love comes through me. I'm full of grace. I'm full of truth. And the truth is hard to hear, but is always met with grace. And the grace always calls us to truth. And he holds out his heart to us. And we look at his heart. We look at the heart that God has extended. And we find the nearest sharp object and we plunge it right in. The light came into the world, but the light did not recognize him. We rejected him. We did not receive him. We murdered him. We murdered him. Kyle, I wasn't there. That was 2,000 years ago. I'm a nice guy. I do good things. We're going to sing in a minute. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was my sin. Uh, Kyle, I wasn't there. I didn't yell for Jesus to be crucified. If I had been there, I would have stopped it, you say. And we'll sing, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch, which is you and me, his treasure. And here's what this means. Let me tell you this, and then we're going to take communion. We're going to get out of here. It, this, is, this is what this means. It's that your life and your faith are not built on that you are a good person. And if you're a Sunday school kid, I'm looking at some of us that were raised in church together. It's not, that's not us. It, I, I've made the right choice almost every point in my life that we were supposed to from all our youth group talks. But do you know what? My life and faith are not built on me being a good person. And, and, and do you know what else? These excuses of, listen, I'm a pretty good guy. I've never murdered somebody. John's gospel would say different. It's actually that we are far worse than we could have ever imagined. And this gospel takes away these objections that we and our friends have, like Trevor Noah, that if there is a God that we could never know him. Oh, no, 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 no. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father. He has revealed God to us. Oh, God is very, very knowable. That's the problem. He's too knowable. He knows us too well. I'd prefer a God that I can't know, because if I can't know him, maybe he can't know me. And so we find that our ostrich's head is pulled out of the sand to look God fully in the face. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And so they watch, we watch as the son of God, as his own heart is hung on a cross and crucified and bleeds out. And we take it and we lay it in a stone tomb. Ashamed of it, we hide it, we wrap it and we hide it in this death and we put it in this tomb and we leave it. And three days go by. Pum, pum. Pum, pum. Pum, pum. Pum, pum. Pum, pum, the heart, pum, pum, starts to pum, pum, beat again, pum, pum. And Jesus, the heart of God, the one who draws us into the Father's lap, walks out of that tomb, 
he finds one of his disciples, spoiler alert, he finds a disciple and she looks at him in the face and she says, sir, where have you taken my Lord? And the heart of the father, pum pum, says her name. Says her name and she falls to the ground because she recognizes this one that has revealed the father's heart to us. And so let me make the appeal that John will make over and over again to you. It's this, believe. Estuate, believe. Let me pray. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. As our ancestors used to pray, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. It was our sin that held you there. And yet you have come and revealed the Father's heart to us. And so invite us into new life that we may know your heart for us and share it with others. Pray in Christ's name, amen.